We are in the middle of a teaching series during this season of Lent. Uh, it's called Praying for a Change. And today we're talking about our responsibility to pray for those who are sick. Uh, when we're sick and in need of others to pray for us, uh, how should the church respond to that? How should we as individual Christians respond uh, to that? Next week we're going to be talking... Um, uh, we're going to take a break from this series because we have a speaker here next week from International Justice Mission. Uh, Jim Martin is going to be sharing about the work of International Justice Mission, and uh, there's more information in your worship folder and an insert about that today. We are so excited about having Jim come. He is a, a, one of the directors for spiritual development at IJM. He's also been in many of the field offices, and actually today he is in the Philippines and uh, he's been there for a week or so. He's going to be arriving back uh, from the Philippines directly to Lansing next Saturday in order to come and be with us next weekend. And so I hope that you'll be here um, and be part of uh, this great weekend. But then we'll pick up the teaching series again on March 20th, and it's really a message that is dear to my heart. And we're, it's called how to, how to Pray for Your Prodigal. Now, if you remember, Jesus told a story in Luke's gospel about a prodigal uh, child, a son who uh, decided one day that to kind of leave all that he had, all the upbringing that he had had and leave home and go and kind of live his own life. And I know that many of us have a son or a daughter, a close friend who has strayed away from the faith, uh, perhaps has rejected the faith of their upbringing and uh, we'll be talking about that on, uh, on March 20th. And then we have Easter, and then we're going to pick up the final two messages in this series on prayer on the two weeks, uh, uh, first two weeks of April, first two weeks right after Easter. Uh, if you miss any of the messages in this series, they are available on our, in our website on the podcast. So we hope that you'll take an opportunity to either listen there or there's printed copies available out in the lobby uh, near the sign-up counter right out here on this part of, uh, side of the lobby. Just one other note about today's service. During the message today, there won't be any PowerPoint slides uh, for the message. So you're going to have to listen extra close, especially if you're taking notes. Uh, but again, if you miss something, feel free to listen to the podcast uh, or the pick up a printed copy uh, this week. But uh, a lot of this uh, sickness and flu and all that has devastated our office staff this week. So that's one of the reasons. Plus, we're getting ready for a big weekend our big uh, day next Thursday, our uh, 180 uh, turnaround teaching conference. We have a record number of folks coming, and so we're delighted to uh, to be doing that. But it's it, it's it's a lot of work for our for our team and our office team, and and we just didn't have the slides for today. So, uh, but again, pick up the podcast or a printed copy if you want more on um, today's message. But let's pray together today, shall we? God, thank you for loving us and for the hope that you've planted in us that seeks to give you praise and honor no matter what our circumstances in this life may be. Some of us here today need your strength, for our voices are barely heard above the noise of a lot of the problems that we're facing. Others of us require your leading, for in the confusion of life, we're, we tend to lose our sense of direction. Some of us need your word of caution concerning uh, the roads that we're traveling. Others. Uh, could use your encouragement as we walk a path that uh, you've opened before us. But today we're going to sing in the same breath and as asking you to move amid all of the problems and our confusion, our mistakes, as well as all the good things that we do, 
and, uh, and make, help us to make your praise a part of our daily life. Uh, help us to rejoice in you always, to be glad and to uh, share that joy uh, with others. For it's in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen. Well, if you read the title of today's message, you already know what this message is about. Praying for someone is, who is sick is something we are all asked to do from time to time. And it's certainly something that all pastors do pretty often. It's something that I count as a privilege to be able to do. I really believe that I'm alive today because of the prayers of many people. I had a kind of asthma growing up that at times could be rather severe. And back in the late 50s, medical science was not what it is today. And there were a couple of times I know my parents thought that I wasn't going to pull through. I remember one of those times very vividly. It was the 4th of July weekend and the family was all gathered at our house. I was in bed very ill with a fever of 103 or 4 or something like that. I remember my great uncle coming into my room along with my parents and maybe a few others and, and praying for me. And I believe to this day that God touched my life in a very special way that day. <clears throat> so I find the topic of praying for the sick an important one to say the least. And I'm often asked the question, at what point do medicine and prayer intersect? How can these two disciplines work together to provide healing? Uh, so let me state up front what I believe. Does God answer prayer? I firmly believe that the answer is yes. God does answer our prayers, but in his time and in his way. Does God answer prayer for the sick? I believe the answer is also yes. See, Jesus' ministry is filled with stories of him healing sick people. Does God sometimes answer in ways that seem miraculous? Again, the answer is yes. Miracles sometimes do occur, and sometimes they don't despite our passionate appeals. I believe the focus is not on what God can do. After all, we know that God can do anything. He is all-powerful. Nothing is impossible with God. The focus of this message today is on what the church can do, what you and I can do. And I believe that James chapter 5, verses 13 through 16, tell us how a church responds to sickness involving the people who are part of a local congregation. Here's what James says. Are any of you suffering hardships? You should pray. Are any of you happy? You should sing praises. Are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick and the Lord will make you well. And if you have committed any sins, you will be forgiven. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. What should we do for the sick? The answer is simple and yet profound. The church should pray for the sick that God would raise them up. Now to say it, that way is to simply uh, be faithful to the meaning of this text. However, it also raises a number of valid questions. In order to get some perspective, let's start by considering some preliminary facts. The Gospels record 41 separate healing uh, miracles during the life and ministry of Jesus. In Matthew 4, it tells us that people with various ailments were brought to Jesus from Galilee and Syria and all kinds of places, and he healed them. Some were blind, others were deaf, some were demon-filled, some paralyzed, still others sick with various diseases, but Jesus heals them all. 
There's no record of Jesus ever failing to heal anyone who was brought to him. And that means that the total number of healing miracles was likely far larger than the 41 specifically mentioned. Now, as we move into the book of Acts, the situation changes a bit. The miracles of healing are, are some recorded there, but not very many. We read about Peter and John encountering a lame man in Acts chapter 3. We read about signs and wonders in Acts chapter 2 and 5, Peter and Dorcas in chapter 9, and Paul and Eutychus in chapter 20. And Paul mentions gifts of healing in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He also mentions someone being sick in 2 Timothy chapter 5, and he tells Timothy to take care of his stomach ailment. Uh, so healing receives uh, some notice in Paul's writings, but very little uh, because the emphasis in all of Paul's writings is on the spread of the gospel across the Roman Empire. A brief survey of 2,000 years of church history reveals that from the very beginning, Christians have believed in ministering to the sick and to the dying. There is no dichotomy that has ever existed between medicine and prayer. Christians in general, and you know what? United Methodists in particular, have led the way in starting hospitals, in clinics, sanitariums, rest homes, hospice care facilities. Christ followers have always believed that part of our message involves offering help to the sick and to the dying in the name of Christ. I should also mention that recent medical research backs up the relationship between medicine and prayer. In the last few years, a whole host of studies have validated the fact that when people pray for the sick, the sick seem to get better and more often. Now, this isn't just speculation. It's been confirmed over and over again by scientific study. And in recent years, there's been a kind of a re-emphasis on praying for the sick in some churches. And it's become a major ministry of some churches involving healing services and teams of lay people who are trained to pray and minister to those who are sick. It's also fair to say that in some circles, there have been doubters on this subject. I think some people are frightened uh, by the intensity they see from some more charismatic Christian groups. I think others are skeptical if they don't see the results that they've been praying for right away and feel that prayer sometimes raises uh, false hopes with people. Now, all of these concerns are valid, and yet if we are asked, uh, we all believe that God can and sometimes do, does do miracles in answers to prayer. And a lot of us here today even have stories to tell on that very subject. So as we come to this text this morning in the, in the New Testament book of James, uh, I'd like for us to discover four key steps in this process of healing or praying for those who are sick. But before we go there, I want to just offer a word of clarification. The New Testament uses the word elders in this passage to talk about a specific group of godly people in the first century church whose job it was to keep the church on track spiritually. In our United Methodist tradition, we don't have an exact equivalent. So I'm going to use the word leader or godly leader interchangeably with the word elder. So from James chapter 5, here's step number one. The sick person calls for the leaders of the church. James says, are any of you sick? You should call for the leaders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. This process begins when the sick person calls for the leaders of the church to come to them. The word sick is a very broad uh, definition there. It may include serious mental, physical, emotional, spiritual, relational problems, something that's become too heavy to bear. 
And there are many kinds of sickness. And when a believer is overwhelmed, James says they should feel free to call and ask for someone to come and help minister to them. Step number two, the leaders are to go to the sick person. So why are godly people from the church supposed to go and pray? Very simply, if the sick person is too sick to come to the church, the church is to go to them. And if they're too sick to pray for themselves, the congregation should be praying for them. There was a book written by Joseph Cardinal Bernadine um, during his uh, struggle with cancer that finally took his life. Cardinal Bernadine laid great stress on the importance of praying for the sick because people who are sick are often too weak to pray for themselves. He says, often the sick person will be mentally unable to sustain coherent thoughts, or it may be that chemotherapy or other drugs have sapped all their mental and physical energy and have left them somewhat disoriented, or the pain may be so great that prayer becomes a burden, the patient may be in a coma or drift in and out of consciousness, and those who are healthy can perform a great service for the sick by praying for them. This is an example of the strong bearing the burdens of the weak. The people who are doing the praying are to be available to go to where the sick person is. And they go together because there's strength in numbers and praying in person often makes our prayers more meaningful, more sincere. Our presence encourages that sick person with the message that the church has not forgotten you. And since we're called to lead by example, we show the world how we care by the way we treat those who are sick. Here's number three. The leaders pray and anoint with oil. You should call for the leaders of the church, James says, to come and pray over you, anointing with the oil in the name of the Lord. Prayer here is the key. When the leaders come to pray for the sick person, as part of that visit, they may anoint that person with oil. The word literally means to rub oil on that person. Now, the oil to be used is not specifically identified, but I doubt that it was uh, intended by James, that it was Valvoline 10W30. Uh, more likely, the reference was to a type of olive oil that was widely used in the first century. The precise kind of oil doesn't matter. Oil in the Bible was often used as a symbol of health and vitality from the Lord. The kings were anointed with oil as a symbol of God's presence and the need for his blessing. The same is true in James 5. Now notice that oil isn't magic. There is no supernatural power in a few drops of oil. The oil is a simple aid to faith. It's a humbling reminder that all healing must come from God. And in this sense, the oil, the oil is like the bread in the cup at the Lord's Supper. It builds faith and it says to the sick person, um, God is here and God is able to help you. Note that the anointing is to be done in the name of the Lord. This is all important because it reminds us that God is the source of all the blessing and the source of all the healing. The power is not in the leaders. The power is not in the oil. The power is in, not even in our prayers, but there is enormous power. There is eternal power in the name of Jesus Christ. He alone can grant the, need, the needed healing. So here's step number four. There's a connection between healing and forgiveness. James says such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick and the Lord will make you well. And if you've committed any sins, you will be forgiven. 
The fourth step here is simply the expected results of steps one through three. The sick person is healed and their sins are forgiven. James uses kind of an unusual phrase here as he describes prayer. He calls it the prayer offered in faith. And that particular phrase is used nowhere else in the New Testament. And in one sense, every sincere prayer must be offered in faith or it can hardly be called prayer. When the leaders pray, they are to come to God with an attitude of complete trust so that he can and will do what is needed in every situation. But it's possible that the prayer of faith might mean something like the gift of faith mentioned in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And since faith itself is a gift of God, not something that we work up through human emotion, uh, perhaps James means to say that when God wants to heal someone, he gives godly leaders the faith to pray uh, that way with great confidence. Now I want you to notice that James says nothing about how the healing will come. Our text doesn't demand a miraculous or an instantaneous healing, nor does healing rule out the use of medical care. Whether quickly or slowly, by miracle or by medicine or by some combination of the two, God is able to heal his people. And it's certainly important to note that the close relationship between the physical and the spiritual in this phrase. And if you've committed any sins, you will be forgiven. The Greek construction of this if clause suggests that sin may be involved in some sickness. Now, not all sickness is caused by sin, but there are some illnesses that stem from our sinful actions and attitudes. And until those things are confronted and confessed, it is pointless to pray for healing. Whenever we seek healing, it's important to ask if there's any conscious sin that is standing between us and God that's blocking God's healing power. You know, in rare situations, I find it difficult to pray for healing or to anoint someone with oil if I sense that they have a really hardened heart towards God or they have a really rebellious spirit. In that case, to pray for healing might actually block God's work in a person's life that's intended to bring them to a place of deep personal repentance. But maybe our greatest problem with this entire passage comes in verse 15. It kind of seems too uh, confident, too dogmatic for us. James states that without any qualification that the person will be healed, period. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. And maybe we would prefer it to say the prayer of faith may save the sick. After all, some of us have prayed for people that didn't get better. But it's an undeniable fact that not everyone we pray for, not everyone we anoint is going to be physically healed. There are various ways of dealing with this reality. None of them satisfy me completely. <clears throat> but there's a mystery here that I can't fully explain. I do think it helps to compare this passage with other statements about prayer in the New Testament. Uh, those statements are meant to encourage us about the boundless possibilities of prayer. They also encourage us to believe that no situation is hopeless with God. And just because the doctors have given up doesn't mean the great physician has also given up. So how are we to pray for those who are sick? Well, three words come to mind. We should be praying aggressively because there is nothing that is impossible with God. <clears throat> we should be praying passionately because the earnest prayers of the righteous, the Bible says, are powerful. And we should be praying submissively because God's understanding of the total situation is much greater than ours. Just because we think physical healing would be best doesn't mean that God always agrees with us. 
We should ask for what we want without telling God how to answer our prayers. Some time ago, I came across a statement regarding healing that has been bouncing around in my head ever since I read it. See, most of us think of healing as getting rid of the disease, don't we? It's like running the clock of life backward and restoring the, the, the person to a previous state of health and wholeness. But healing in the Bible is a very broad concept that involves coming into a right relationship with God, first and foremost. And then it touches every part of our life, body, soul, and spirit. <clears throat> it involves all of our broken relationships. It involves our whole life and brings us to a place where we can receive God's blessings in a new and powerful way. And that alone is a huge concept that goes beyond just, you know, pray for my son who broke his arm at football practice. <clears throat> See, here's the quote that started me thinking in a new direction. <clears throat> Healing in the Bible is not becoming what we were. It's becoming all that God intends us to be. Healing is not becoming what we were, not just resetting the clock to a previous time, but becoming all that God intends us to be. Now think about that. When, the, when we pray for healing, we dare not focus on just the physical to the exclusion of the spiritual, the emotional, the relational sides of our life. We're not healed until we are made whole on every level of our existence. As I survey this text in light of the whole Bible, the following two statements seem absolutely true to me. It is not always God's will to heal us physically, or no sick person would ever die. It is often God's will to heal, or else why is James 5 in the Bible? <clears throat> Sometimes we focus on one of those statements to the exclusion of the other, but both can be, seem, uh, seem entirely true to me. <clears throat> Part of our problem may be that we have lost our faith either in God's ability to heal or will to heal us and the role that godly church leaders play in this process. See, I, got, I, th I believe that God has made four provisions for sick people. <clears throat> One is the caring community of faith, and that is the congregation, the church. I think he has made the provision of a loving family and friends, the presence of, our love, of, of people who love us around us. I think he's made the provision for doctors and nurses and hospitals and medicine to help us. But I also think that godly, he's made provision for godly people who pray specifically for those who are sick. We have often, I think, robbed the sick of that last provision, but it's still there in the Bible. Sometimes we overlook the need for just basic prayer. We send cards when people sick, don't we? We send flowers, we, we uh, offer babysitting, we prepare meals and take to the home, we, we are ready to run errands for folks, and those are all good and wonderful expressions of faith. <clears throat> but let us not forget that the sick need our prayers more than they need anything else. In our, in our hurry to help them, we must start with prayer and let everything else be added to it. We can say it this way, all believers are called to pray for the sick. But praying for the sick is also a special gift and a special privilege of the church. Now this tells us what kind of people James is talking to and about. He's talking to godly people who value prayer. In order for our prayers to make a difference, uh, we must be people of, of vital living faith and we must be ready to pray for, for people who are in desperate circumstances in their life. 
As I study James 5, my overriding sense is that praying for the sick should be a normal part of the work of what we do as a church together. And perhaps we would see God's power in a greater way if we dared to believe and obey his word more often. Let me wrap up today with seven conclusions. Seven conclusions that summarize my current understanding of how James 5 should be applied in the local church. Here's number one. Since God is sovereign, we cannot know in advance what the outcome of our prayers are going to be. Therefore, we should pray with humility, not making promises we can't keep, and at the end of the day, God is God and we are not. And we must keep this perspective before us as we pray for those who are sick. Secondly, since God is all-powerful, we should expect that God will move from heaven to answer our prayers, often in ways that we can't fully humanly understand or explain. Therefore, we should pray boldly and ask God for healing. Sometimes when visiting the sick, we can be almost intimidated by the gravity of the situation. But if we have our eyes on God, we will not fear to ask God to heal his people. Number three, since everything God creates is good, we should view both prayer and medicine as gifts to help us when we are sick. And that means uh, something pretty obvious to me, but it is rather controversial to some people. I don't think God uh, asks us to choose between prayer and medicine. I think we're to both pray and take our pills to the glory of God. And since the, the Lord, uh, seek the Lord when we are weak, ask him for his help and don't reject his help when it comes in the form of a doctor's appointment or surgery or physical therapy. Number four, since God knows what is best, we must believe that when healing does come, <clears throat> it's for our good and for his glory. This is nothing more than a summary of Romans 8, 28. Sometimes uh, we will see this very clearly, and other times we must choose to believe it by faith. But it's still true in every case, whether we understand it or not. Number five, since faith is a gift from God, we understand that God will give us the faith to believe when he wants us to move in unusual power. Our job is just to pray regardless of our feelings, one way or the other. Many times when I've prayed for the sick, I'm not certain how God intends to answer my prayer, but I realize that I'm in sales. I'm not in administration. And I'm not responsible for the answer. I'm only responsible to do the praying. I do believe that sometimes when we pray, we will sense God's presence in a very unusual way. If someone is healed in answer to our prayers, it's not our faith that did the healing. Faith is only an instrument of God's power. And even faith itself is a gift from God. Number six, since sin may block God's healing power, we are fully justified to inquire as to a person's spiritual state before we pray for them. I would even say that we should not pray for healing when we are aware that a sick person has a lot of unconfessed sin in their life or they're persistently disobedient and have bad attitudes toward God. I'm not suggesting that we turn prayer into a confession of every possible sin, but I think that compassionate leaders will know how to deal wisely with people who are entrusted to their care. And certainly we can ask, are you aware of anything in your life that is hindering you from experiencing God's healing power? And when the answer is yes, we can deal with that as a separate part of this whole issue of healing. And then the last one is number seven. Since God's word is true, we glorify him when we obey his word, regardless of the situation regardless of the outcome. You know, we don't have to fully understand what James is speaking of here before we pray with someone. 
We don't have to understand it all to obey the parts that we do understand. After all, worship and obedience always engage us in a bit of mystery, the mystery of who God is and what God reveals. God doesn't call us to understand every detail of life in advance. He asks us to obey what we do know and then leave the results with him. Let me just share one final word, and that is as important as healing is, we must remember that all healing in this life is both partial and temporary. Ultimate healing will not come until we are raised in new life with Jesus Christ. It strikes me as a very important point. We won't be completely healed until our mortal bodies put on immortality in the resurrection. Biblical salvation includes the redemption of the body, not just the redemption of the soul. So can God heal the sick? Yes. Does he? All the time. Does God sometimes move from heaven to deliver someone from desperate illness? Yes, I think it does. he does, and I think it happens more often than we know. We should also rejoice in every healing, no matter how large or how small it seems to us. But let's remember that everyone healed in this life will eventually die because death still reigns on planet Earth. And all physical healing is, is like a little down payment. It's like a tantalizing foretaste, a, a guarantee of greater miracles to come when the dead in Christ are raised and transformed when Jesus comes again. You know, I've stood by the bedside with some of you over the years praying for God to heal your loved one. I've prayed for children and for youth and for adults of all ages, and some still died. Some lived for several more years before they passed away. Some were physically healed. Others were not. And I've often questioned God, why are some prayers of healing answered and some not? And I've concluded that there is only one answer that can fully explain God's purposes. But I'm content with the words of Psalm 115, verse 3. It says, our God is in the heavens and he does as he wishes. That's part of God's sovereignty that we can't fully grasp. I can sum up my own theology of prayer for healing in one sentence. We do the praying. God does the healing. In his time, in his way, and according to his will. We are to pray earnestly. We're to pray unitedly. We're to pray repeatedly, obediently, with all the faith that God gives us. And if we do our part, God will not fail to do his part. So as I come to the end of this message this morning, I bow before the mystery of a God whose ways are far beyond my meager understanding. Through prayer, we have the privilege of lifting the burden of illness from our brothers and sisters. And through prayer, we become agents of healing to those who are sick. What an honor it is to be used by God in that way. So let us continue to pray boldly, pray confidently, pray humbly and and in faith, believing that as we pray for those who are sick and dying, God hears, he cares, and he will do what is best in every situation. Amen.